Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Have you ever had that scenario where you eat something that you shouldn't have? Uh, Christmas, prawns, they're always interesting, risky. Uh, For me, it was a dodgy kebab in my wilder days, late night, early hours of the morning, and uh, I had a dodgy kebab, and, and I've, I felt like I vomited for days after that thing. It ruined me. I think I lost about three kilos in the process. And, and after that, you ever noticed how once you eat something like that, something dodgy like that, just even the whiff of a kebab or a prawn or something, you know, it starts to make your stomach churn? Start to make your stomach churn for some people, remembering those repressed memories of those times. It's all happened to us. And, you know, I want to say that exactly the same dynamic can happen when people encounter a dodgy Christian. (laughs) Encounter a dodgy Christian, you only need to get a whiff of the church and it can make you feel sick to the stomach, right? Uh, That's why I think G.K. Chesterton, I think it was, said it, that the main argument against Christianity is Christians, (laughs) Yeah, I see lots of people as a pastor where they're, they're, they come to me and oh, I've got problems with faith and I'm not sure if I can believe this and the Bible's hard to understand it. You know what? More often than not, I find those things are pop guns in comparison to the big arguments. And that, the argument is this, if your God is so good and if he's so loving and so gracious, why is the church in the state that it is in today? And why the heck do Christians behave the way they do? Do you know someone in your life that, that talks like that? It might be a family member or a friend, someone who says, you know what, I've had it with the institutional church. Family and friends that say, hey, yeah, look, I don't mind Jesus and I'm interested in him, but forget the church. Uh, that, you know what, my, my faith is just a personal faith. It's between me and God. You ever encountered those sorts of arguments? And part of the reason is the main reason that people, particularly in the West, don't believe in God is the church. And so that is why we're going to spend three weeks looking at, at not only what the church is, but what it should be. We, particularly because this time of year, there's often people that are what I call spiritual travellers, people who are searching, people who are interested in Jesus, but have hang-ups with the church. They come into our church. There are people like that sitting with us this morning. And people that say, you know, I want to, I'm, it's a new year. I want to take up Pilates. I want to go to the gym and I might take up Christianity. You know, there is a deep hunger and a need to be changed and, and that is something that Christianity can offer, but I want to qualify that today. More importantly, on the other side of the spectrum, there's us, Christians. I mean, we know if it just takes one dodgy Christian to put someone off God for the rest of their lives, then isn't that a big call and a challenge to each of us? To come back to what it is that the church should be. People can get turned off by the church, but also, look... Here's a second reason why we need to look at this. Look at how Jesus views the church. You know, this is how Jesus doesn't view the church. Jesus is not sitting there in heaven watching TV with God going, I wonder how that thing called the church is going. I wonder how it went when I left it. I wonder how it's doing down there. No, Jesus says, I, I died for them. I died for this thing. This, this is me. It's like saying, it's like going up to Picasso and, and saying to Picasso, you know, I'd really like to get to know who you are. So c- can we have an interview? What would Picasso say to you? So I'm not going to interview with you. Look at my art. Look at my lifetime, the creation. My art will tell you everything that you need to know about me. The church is Jesus' artwork. It's his masterpiece. 
And here's the thing. If you want to get who Jesus is, then you have to look at the church. Oh boy. Can you see the bind we're in? Like on one hand, I'll be real, Christians have mucked it up over the years. Christians do muck it up presently. We're not the world's most perfect church. We muck it up. But if you want to come to grips with who Jesus is, you've got to come to grips with who the church is, who his church is. And so, of course, Jesus is the way to God, but the church is also a way to God, if not the way. I want to be careful in how I phrase that, but the church is inextricably linked to Jesus, as we'll see. And so here's what we'll see this morning. And maybe it might be part of the way that you can explain this to family and friends that are saying this to you at the moment. That person that's coming to the front of your mind now that you think of that has a bugbear with the church. Here's what I'm going to ask this morning. What if this is the thing that God calls you to? What if what bugs you the most about the church is actually the thing that should amaze you the most about the church? (laughs) And what if this is the thing that you really need to truly change? What if, it, what if this is what he calls you to? What if what bugs you is the thing that should amaze you? What if this is what you really need to change? What if this is what God calls you to? You know, that's back to that worldview that we said. I, I've, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I don't have a problem with God, but I've got a problem with the church. You know, that's, I don't know, that's sort of like saying I'm, I'm into Cindy Lauper, but I'm, I don't like girls just want to have fun. It's like saying I like, I like James Taylor, but I'm not into guitar. It's like saying I'm really interested in Jimmy Barnes, but I don't like singers that scream. Right? <laughs> Jimmy Barnes is the screaming. James Taylor is the guitar. Cindy Lauper is girls just want to have fun. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that, that Jesus is the church. And whenever God calls you, whenever you place your faith in Jesus, he calls you into community called the church. We see that here in verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message, so belief, salvation, belief in Jesus, were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were already gathering 3,000 more. God's calling people into community. What do we just see here? That's the birth of the church. And here's what I want you to see in this. What it shows us is that the church is not a human invention. It's not, it's not something the guys in the robes made up in the Middle Ages because it was a way that they wanted to control people. It's not a bunch of guys with robes that cling to power. I mean, like you could, you could half read the New Testament with one eye closed and you're going to come to this conclusion that the church is God's idea. <laughs> Whenever he calls you, he calls you into community. You see it with the Apostle Paul persecuting the church Goes up to Damascus, he's blinded. What happens? Ananias reaches out to him, pulls him into community. You see it time and time again. Jesus says, come follow me with the rest of the disciples into community. It's God's idea. So if you want to get rid of the church, you've got to get rid of Jesus as well, right? It's his thing. It's what God calls you to. Here's the second point. And I... If there's a point this morning, this is the one that I want people to get. What if, it, what if the thing that bugs you most about the church is actually the thing that should amaze you the most about the church? I get it. I despair as much as you do for Christians that say silly things, that do stupid things, that hurt people, that misrepresent God. The church has done some silly things over the years. And you know what? Like in inquiries and scrutiny from the outside, that's, that's not a modern problem for the church. The church has always had its junk, right? You just got to go back and you got to read 1 Corinthians. You got to see scenarios where, 
where they go do communion after a message like this and everyone's getting drunk on the communion wine. (laughs) People are suing each other within the church. People are sleeping with each other in the church. There's big moral issues in that. Galatians, Paul's got all sorts of issues because all the religious types are trying to cram their religiosity down the new converts. I mean, isn't that exactly the sort of stuff that your friends and my friends can't stand about the church today? Isn't that the sort of stuff that would throw people off the church? And this is what should amaze us. It happened back then, and that church still changed the world. (laughs) And not only that, look, here's here's what really happens. Here's Here's what Christians do to Jesus. Here's what the church does to Jesus. Have a look at this. This is what we do to Jesus. That. That's what we do to Jesus. If, you, if it's anyone seen that, yep, that, that beautiful fresco called Behold the Man, Cecilia Jimenez. She was an 80-year-old woman in Spain who thought she'd do a DIY rescue on a 19th century fresco of Christ in her local church of Borja, resembling a monkey. <laughs> she thought she was doing a good job. And this is the thing, we Christians, if we're real about it, we can make Jesus look like a monkey to the watching world. And the thing that amazes me the most about it all is he still chooses to work through us. Many of you are bosses, many of you are managers. I mean, if God, God is my manager, by the way. My two-year-old tells me that. <laughs> so who's the boss? Jesus is your boss. Yes, I know, son. Thank you. And I thought, if, if I was my boss, would I be comfortable letting me do the job? And the answer is no. And the thing that amazes me is that he still chooses to work through us anyway. The church has made Jesus look like a monkey over the years. And that is an incredible demonstration of who this God is. Because if you don't find that the slightest bit amazing, then on one hand, you're not seeing the church clearly. You're not seeing God through the church clearly, that he chooses to work through these broken people. But also maybe you're not seeing yourself clearly in that, that each and every one of us are broken people that come into this and yet somehow he works through all of this and it can be amazing to people and this thing grows. What we see of this God who allows us to do what we do and yet the church still moves forward and flourishes, what it shows us is first and foremost, this is a God of power. I mean... To choose not to get involved when you can do the job yourself and fix the world and to use broken people to do it, to me that just demonstrates this is a God who is all-powerful. But he's a God who's gracious. And he says, all right, come child with all your junk and all your messed upness and I'm going to purpose you for something that is beyond yourself and I'm going to partner with you and you're you're going to help me change the world. He's a God of power and he's a God of grace. And, and so you, can you see how it works? Maybe the thing that bugs you about the church, broken people, frustrating people, people that will hurt you. They're all here, by the way, if you want to find them. They're all here. <laughs> they're all in this place. We all do it. And yet the thing that bugs you or could bug you the most about the church may be, very well be the thing that should amaze you about the church. A powerful, gracious God working through broken people. So what if he's calling you to this? What if what bugs you should actually amaze you? The final point I got this morning is, what if this is actually what you really need to change? I was reading through a fascinating excerpt of a book this week. It was called Men Suck, 
Reflections of a Disgruntled Ex-Girlfriend by Sadie Tuttle. Here's what she said. Some of those self-help folks want you to invest in their workshops. Don't do it. You can spend your money on yourself. If you feel lonely, try a volunteer organisation. You know, one of those ones that work for a cause type thing? There are always single men there and and you also get a free T-shirt. And also you get to meet people. Hey, but if that's too much, just go to church. I personally believe that going to church periodically helps you see all of the bad fashion sense that's in existence. (laughs) Sometimes you'll even see an outfit that's so bad you'll have to squint. I'm telling you, you'll be so distracted by the apparent lack of fashion sense, you'll have no choice but to think about yourself. (laughs) And after all, isn't that what it's all about? Verse 40. I want to see some applicability of an ancient piece of literature. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from a corrupt generation. And I want to focus on not the many words, but a couple, because that word for corrupt there is actually the word skolios. Anyone want to be a pretend Greek scholar this morning? Skolios. What do you reckon we get the English word comes from skolios? Skoliosis. What happens to scoliosis? It's a, it's a warpness of, this, of, of the spine. What Peter is paraphrasing in that is save yourself from a generation that has itself bent out of shape. And I mean, when I read through diaries like that, is it just me or could that be an all right case study on someone who's been bent out of shape by the pain of a broken relationship, by bitterness, by anger, by stereotypes? Peter's simply saying, we often think, oh, the Christian message is save yourself from this wicked generation and all the people are bad and Christians are good. No, Peter is simply saying, save yourself from a generation that is bending itself out of shape. And how do you do that? bit of medical advice, how do you fix scoliosis? Maybe some of you had to have scoliosis fixed. What do you do? You get a brace. You get, you get something hard and rigid and you submit yourself to that. You come in within the walls of that brace. You come underneath it. You choose to discipline yourself to do that. And as you grow, it grows you straight and true and right. Isn't that often the gripe that the modern person has with the church? Isn't that why people say, oh, my relationship with God is personal? What are they really saying? They're saying, I don't want the brace. I don't want the brace of the word of God. I don't want the brace of accountability to other people into my life, whether it be a minister or a leader or even a peer in my connection group. I don't want the brace. But look, if your child had scoliosis, what would you say to them? Come on, honey, put this... Put it on. I, I, I know it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to hurt for a while and it's going to feel uncomfortable. But darling, I promise you if you, just, if you just do what I say and you submit to this, it's going to grow you up big and strong, okay? Everything within you is going to want you to bail out of this thing called the church. And yet how are we to ever overcome our anger and how are we to ever overcome our single-mindedness and how are we to ever overcome our opinionated way of thinking as Christians if, if we don't stick ourselves into this thing? You brace yourself. This is the thing that you need to change and I'll talk about that next week. But it's not just an external conformity. There's also an in, inner conformity in all of this. I don't want to touch on it brief, briefly. It's a transformation, not just of external compliance, but of inner transformation. And it's in the word, he says, corrupt. We've talked about that, but then he says a corrupt generation. 
What's a generation? A generation is a, a group of people or a worldview that's been significantly formed by historical events. And I'll demonstrate what a generation is for you now. I want you to put your hand up, Vegemite jars, okay? Vegemite jars, we're talking about that. Put your hand up if when you finish with a Vegemite jar, you keep it. <laughs> Take a look around, folks. They're the wise ones, the B-52s, as we call them. Why do you do that? Either because that generation has grown up in the Depression, where like my grandmother, you know, she'd have to go and put the good toilet paper out if a guest came around so they didn't use the newspaper. We've been through a world war where things were tight. Or your, your parents did that because they'd been through the depression and the war and you just did that because that's what you used to store your screws in in the back shed. Remember? Okay, here's another one with, with the generation. Um, who, who here uh, messages with their thumb only on their phone? Got a few here. They seem to be a bit younger. This is how you can pick a baby boomer in public. This is how you know a baby boomer in public. They have an iPhone, they're like this. (laughs) A generation is a people or a worldview formed by historical fact. Here is the powerful truth about what the church is. The church is not just another club, it's a whole new generation. So powerful is the story of Jesus Christ when you come to understand it that it will shape you in a way that you can be with people who are from the other side of the world or a different race or a different ethnicity and you're going to do the same things. You're going to do your phone like that. You're going to keep Vegemite jars because of the common story that we all share will shape you and form you. The story that there is a God and that this world is mucked up and imperfect, but he's broken into this world. And the king has come, not as some king to lord it over people, but to come down incognito, hooded, to start healing people on the streets. And he calls his followers to do the same. And there'll be a time in which he comes back to fix it all up. And that story changes you. And it shapes you. And it gives you purpose. And it unites you to people who are radically different from you. So it's a change not just of that discipline of of bracing yourself, but it changes you because you come into a story and a narrative that's far more powerful than anything you've known before. And only until that story becomes your story will it truly change you. You see, church, church for you, I can tell you now, this is how you know the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Church for a non-Christian is a distraction. It's a distraction from the pains of life. It's a distraction from our inability to truly fix ourselves. It's a distraction from all the things that are happening for a Christian. Church is the driver of our lives. It is central to all that we do because it is forming us as we go. All right, I've got to wrap this up. I'm getting hot in this jacket. (laughs) Is the aircon not working or am I just preaching good? Here's the grapple for you this morning. The biggest argument, right, against Christianity is Christians. After all this, that is what you're going to have to wrestle with when you move out of this place this morning. You might know someone. It might have been a Christian that has hurt you deeply. We might have to grapple as the church this morning. There are people in our lives in this church. Do I want this person in my life? Do I have to interact with this person? Are they going to do community life with me? Are they going to offend me? Are they going to be frustrating? I'll give you the answer early. Yes, that's the church. (laughs) You're going to need to make a grapple to say, do I constantly, week by week, day by day, choose to move into that?
to not be put out by that. And so quickly as I wrap this up, application-wise, Christians, uh, look, look, at, look at what happens here after Peter preaches because it's not, it's not just... It's just not credibility, the preaching, but it's plausibility. People see how it works. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Everyone was filled with, war, with awe, uh, many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the, uh, the apostles. And then in here it says, and they found favour with the people. Here's what happens. When Christians live the life that God intends them to be, when they get in the brace and they grow up straight, guess what happens? Church becomes attractive. Church becomes beautiful. Church becomes a place where people who don't know God yet want to come and hang out and be a part of. And so what I want to ask you this morning, Northsiders, is are you seeing your individual responsibility to our corporate beauty? (laughs) We feel that as a team, don't we, guys? We we think that we've got a grip on this thing called the church. We don't. You know, we want to see everyone in this place. We want every person in this church to have a great experience of Northside. And, and yet I'm so conscious time and time again that there are thousands of interactions in any given week that I'm not a part of as one of your pastors. It's you, the church. It's you. It's, it's, it's the young adult couple that call me up pre-Christmas because they'd been given a whole heap of presents from a friend and, and they decided to wrap them up and they didn't know what they were going to do with the presents and then they realised that another Northsider just lived down the street from them. So they went down and they just knocked on a door and said, hey, would your kids like these for Christmas? And they sat with her. They just spent some time with her and the kids. It's the Northsiders that went out to visit a, 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 a Northsider who's in prison at the moment their own time and sat out there for a couple of hours just to be with him and to talk with him. It's the countless phone calls that are going between everyone. See, that's the church. This is not the church. This is such a blunt instrument in affecting any change in all this. We have to understand this is the church of Jesus Christ and it's every individual coming together to make this place beautiful. So... Northsider, you have a responsibility and commitment. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to prayer. It says that they didn't give up gathering in the temple courts, but then they met in their homes. You know what I see? That is, that's wiki church. They gathered weekly in the temple courts. And then what happened? They went to homes. They broke bread. They ate. That's called connection group in the Sam translation of the Bible. You see, it's not rocket science, church. And every year, every week, it's why we're talking about the church again, we're inching ever closer to the methods that made that church beautiful and great and changed the world. Because how are we to change the world with any different methods than what they employed here? Do you understand your individual responsibility? As we finish this morning, can I talk to the searcher or could I talk to the disgruntled ex that's amongst us, checking out the fashion sense? It's why I dressed up this morning. If you're a searcher, if you're a disgruntled ex, there are lots of disgruntled exes, ex-Catholics, ex-Anglicans. There's a few disgruntled ex-Northsiders that we pray for and we hope we'll be back in fellowship. Can I say to you this morning, please, please save yourself from a generation that is bending itself out of shape. There There is a bitterness, there is a rage in the world at the moment that I feel is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're not, we're not perfect, but all I want to say to you this morning, if you're a searcher and you've been hurt by a Christian, please, 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 don't let a dodgy kebab ruin your appetite for a lamb roast. 
It's what you want. It's what you crave. Can I push you with this morning? It's what you're looking for. I'll give you the case study as we finish this morning. Anyone seen the new lamb ad, by the way? I thought I had to get you all thinking I was going to go there. (laughs) I loved it this year. It um, It was written by a mate of mine from school. We actually dedicated him and his kids this time last year. Andrew Howie was here. And, uh, and he was telling me how the one for this year was going to be great, that we'd really enjoy it. And I can see why now. If you haven't seen the new lamb at it starts off with a bunch of Indigenous Australians having a barbecue on the beach by themselves. And then the first fleet come along. Then the New Zealanders come along. <laughs> and, and then uh, people from Vietnam come along. And then the boat people come along. And then you've got the float people from Oxford, Oxford Street come along. Everyone's together. And it's this wonderful picture of this incredibly diverse gathering and, and all of them are gathered around, they're celebrating and Gilly's playing a bit of cricket and there's, there's Asians and there's white Australians, there's indigenous Australians, there's heterosexuals, there's homosexuals, everyone's together. It's beautiful, isn't it? And you know the good news, you know the power to do all of this? A lamb chop. <laughs> a chop. Why do I think about it? I've been preaching Jesus all these years. I think it's so simple, isn't it? You know, you want to, you want to get the races together? Get a chop. <laughs> it's a novel idea, isn't it? It's one we yearn for. We see it on, we see it on Facebook. Why has why it had so much? We yearn for this. We yearn for a day and a place in which Indigenous Australians and white Australians and Asians and Caucasians and heterosexuals and homosexuals and boat people and Australian, all of these people can come together with no animosity in perfect unity. And wouldn't it be great if the world had a place like that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to see the truth of what you are doing amongst us here. And the answer to that yearning that is your church. I pray for each and every one of us. Father, I pray for each of us that call us your followers and Christians that you would... You would shape us and you would transform us. And Father, you give us fresh eyes to see the ways in which we don't live the best for you. But at the same time, Father, ignite in our hearts the sense of joy and adventure that it is to be a part of this place that is unworlding the world around us, that is straightening the world around us. And I want to pray for this place corporately as a church, that we'd never get too caught up on ourselves, that you'd help us get out of the way of ourselves that you'd help us to be a place that's just constantly communicating uncluttered Christianity. And that people who'd watch in, maybe just maybe, Father, would see the same beauty, the same attraction, that we would find favour with the world around us as we focus our eyes upon you. Father, I pray for us, for every family member and every friend right now that's coming to mind. We pray corporately right now. We lift them up to you. Of that person, the co-worker, the mum at school, the neighbour, the person who, um, who wants to meet you, who senses your present but can't get over the church. We want to pray for them. I'll pray for anyone that's like that sitting in this place this morning. And so, Lord, as you continue to um, form this community, I just pray that um, you would make us ever more attractive to the world around us, that your hand would be upon us, Father, as we continue to do the best we can to represent you for your power, for your grace with us, your patience. Thank you.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.